Good morning, everyone. My name is Aaron Rice, and um, uh, we are long-term missionaries in the Amazon jungle of Peru. And we, um, there's my family, wife and kids. Um, Nathan's on the left. Caleb's on the right. Anna's in the, the middle in the striped shirt. Libby's the, the little one. And then my wife, Ceci, there on the left in the dark shirt. And uh, so we're missionaries in the Amazon jungle. We were here oh, about a year ago, I guess, um, and uh, got the privilege to speak and share a little bit of our story. So hopefully some of this introduction is not too new. But for those of you who don't know, I grew up in this church. I uh, got saved in this church, baptized, preached my first sermon, went on my first mission trip, got married here. Pretty much all the firsts were right here at Kings Avenue. And, um, and so it's a privilege to come back and be here with you all and, uh, and now, as a missionary, um, Kings Avenue actually supports us monthly. Um, and so I just so happen to be in town. Um, our main office with Pioneers, the agency that we're with, is uh, in Orlando. And so I was like, well, you know, if I'm going to be coming to town and spending the airfare to come out of the jungle and fly all the way here to go do some business uh, in our main office, I figured, why not come and see family and come and see you? Uh, our church and, and all that stuff. So it's a real privilege. Privilege. We were not expecting this, and so it's been it's been great. Um, one more little business thing, as well is um, on the back uh, table. Actually, on the foyer on the way out, just a couple little things. Um, feel free um, to take one of our cards for our family. It has our contact information on the back and our family picture. Put on your refrigerator. Pray for us. Um, and um, and so there's that. And then our agency pioneers who we who we are with just has their contact information, and you can look at it or whatever, and it's on the way back, on the way out as you leave this, uh, this morning. Uh, I always forget that. I think, oh, I'll remember at the end, and I never remember. So I'm saying it at the beginning, so I, don't, I haven't forgotten. So, um, so yes, we are going to be looking at Acts chapter 26. So let's go there real quick in our Bibles. Verse 13 through 24. A little bit of context here. We're talking about Paul, the Apostle Paul, and he is standing before a king, and he's giving his testimony and um, for the hope that he has in Christ, and he shares something really, really important about faithfulness to the call, and that's what today's about. It's about the faith, faithfulness to the call. So let's read along together in, uh, in Acts twenty six thirteen, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand up on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things to which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among them those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all of the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. 
For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And so Paul is drawing a close his ministry of being a missionary, of going out. On, he took three missionary journeys throughout the Mediterranean, and he was um, planting churches along the way. And, and in Acts, uh, early part of Acts, he knew, he, uh, in Acts we see that the, the purpose of the church was to go into Judea and in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. And he said, I did that. I've done that. I'm, I, I'm fulfilling the commission, what God has called me and, and showed me. And so he was on his missionary journey, and uh, he heard about uh, the Jews back in Jerusalem, the Christian Jews, the converted Jews, um, and, and they were suffering from persecution. And he collected from all his little church plants from around the Mediterranean, these little churches that are one years old, two years old, three years old, that are very, very new, full of Gentiles and very little Jews. And they collected an offering and he brought it with him and he took it to, to give to, the, to the, uh, the Jews that were following Christ in Jerusalem. And when he got there, he uh, began to speak and talk about the, the hope that he had in Jesus. And, and he got arrested because he, he was speaking in the synagogue. And then uh, he was arrested and put in trial and, and put in jail. And he was there for two years. And this is where we pick up the story where Paul is speaking after two-year imprisonment, being beaten and being persecuted, and he's standing before the king, the king of Israel, a vassal king, a puppet king of the Roman Empire, and he's giving his testimony about the call that God put on his heart, the mission in which he was called, and the thing that he was called to accomplish through the power of God. And so this portion of scripture, if you read the whole thing, and as you unpack it over 24, 25, 26, it actually reads more like a transcript from a testimony at court, um, like before a judge. Um, we're kind of invited to witness these court proceedings and this trial of this Christian um, and his faith. And wherever he went, he shared this story of, his, uh, of the gospel, of, of his conversion to Christ. And so, standing there before the king, he shares this story of his Damascus Road conversion. And the problem with Paul in this story is Paul was never claiming another religion. He was claiming to be a faithful Jew, doing what faithful Jews do, and not trying to tear anything up or, or up or tear anything down, he was just saying, I have met the Christ, the Messiah, that was, that was spoken about in the scriptures, that was spoken about in the Old Testament. And he has fulfilled his promise to come and redeem the hearts and the minds and the souls of mankind. And it's what, it's what Moses was talking about. It's what was, what was all in, in the Old Testament. But he was also talking about something very new about this Jesus, that he rose from the dead, and that he demands and asks for um, 
He gives grace through faith in him. So he began to preach and teach this message of the fulfillment of the scriptures and Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And in Paul's mind, he wasn't preaching a new message. He was fulfilling the Old Testament Abrahamic covenant that God would bless the whole world through the people of Israel and the promised Messiah had come in Jesus to be that blessing and to be the gate to the kingdom of God. And what he was sharing was a combination of ancient and new. He was holding to his heritage, but he was revealing something. He was, he was advocating for this Jesus. And in Acts 24, 5, we, we read there that they were calling him the, the ringleader of the sect of the Nazarene. So they were trying to label him something, trying to bring his name down, trying to call him something less than what he was. But, but he was standing on his rights as a good Jew, and he was using Scripture to prove itself that, no, in fact, the Messiah had come. And then he came to save the world. But the thing that got him into the most trouble, because Jews were expecting the Messiah, but the thing that, came, that got him into the most trouble was his insistence that God would invite and involve the Gentiles. That people from other tribes and languages and tongues, from other cultures, not just Jews, but anyone who professed, who professed faith in Christ and named him as their Savior, were to be welcomed in to the family of God. And they didn't have to participate in the ceremony like circumcision and blood sacrifice, that it was all done, that it was all gone. And everything centered on faith in Christ and Christ alone. If they simply, these Jews and these Gentiles, if they simply put their faith in Christ into the promised Messiah and believe that Jesus was him, boom, they were part of the family. They got a full inheritance as if they were a born Jew. And that just wouldn't do. It was too risky. It was too messy. And worst of all, it was opening up the Jewish church, the congregation, to, con- to, um, to contamination by other gods and other religions and other influences that are outside the Jewish culture. And so they persecuted Paul harshly. And they pursued him violently. The Jews were worried. They were so worried about being contaminated by the world. And we know that wasn't for, 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 for good reason. If you read, in, if you read in, um, in Exodus and you read in Numbers and in, in Joshua and Judges, right? All of those stories were basically about the Jews giving themselves over to other gods and going after idol worship. And God, over the centuries, was working that out of them, trying to get the idol worship out of the Jewish people. And they finally, many centuries later, finally arrive at this place. And then Jesus comes along and says, I'm taking it all down. Follow me and me alone. And so they were very worried. They were very offended even at this scandalous message of the cross that anyone could come, that anyone could join. I don't know how many historic Jews or birth Jews are in this room, but I'm sure there are very few. And so your inheritance and my inheritance comes from the openness and the freedom of the gospel that was shared generation after generation by non-Jews to other non-Jews. And it works for us just like it was for them. And we have the full inheritance with Christ if you call yourself a Christian. And that's good news. Good news. And so, 
They didn't want any of these problems of this resurrected Messiah, this new message of the resurrected king. Um, we see that, that, that from right from the beginning, that this message of, of Jesus, the resurrected Messiah that came, was the job of the very first missionary. He was the very first, Paul, the very first commissioned missionary um, in the church's history. And if everybody's involved and everyone is invited to the table through Christ, and if faith is that simple, that makes our message cross-cultural. That makes our message trans-cultural through every culture, across every border, across every land. And the thing that holds us together and with, in common ground with, like with our people, with tribal people with whom we work, they look very differently. They have a very different worldview. They have a very different lifestyle. They have a very different manner of, of living than us. They live in a hut. They eat fish and, and, uh, and, and yucca and, and plantains. And they, they travel around by boat. They live in a dirt, wood, a dirt floor, uh, elevated up in a, in, a, in, a, in a wooden hut. And we have very little in common. But with my brothers and sisters in those places, in that land, those who call Christ their Savior, we have fellowship. We have friendship. We have common ground. As different as we are, we have common ground. I mean, the average size of a Peruvian in the world, or the average, on average, the shortest people in the, in the whole world, so average size of a male is five foot four. Average size of a female is five foot. And tribal people are even shorter. So my wife, she's about five four, and she's as tall or taller than many of the men that we serve with. And my wife is tiny. She's short, right? And so me, a little taller, six foot or whatever, and I'm like looking over all of them, right? It's just a different world. It's just different. It's just totally different. And so this new message of the resurrected Messiah... And this commissioning created big changes. And to be a Jew back then, they didn't understand this give your heart to Jesus business. They, they didn't understand that. That didn't exist in their language. You got, you got salvation back in the Bible times because of your affiliation. Your birth was your salvation. So a Jew was going to heaven because they were a Jew by birth. And so making it conditional on faith in a person, totally different. And so Paul was testifying about this Jesus before the kings and before the magistrates, before anyone who would, be, who would listen. And the key to this verse, if you guys look with me in verse 19, he says to King Agrippa, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. As scandalous as it was, as off. Um, as it was, he knew that he encountered the, the risen Messiah. He knew he encountered the power of God for salvation. And he says, King, respectfully, King, I couldn't be disobedient to this vision. Or, in another way we could say it, what else could I do when God calls you to do this thing and God says do it? What else could you do? What else is there? What other options are out there? I had to be obedient. I had to be faithful to the call. And so he says after, in 17 through 20, after receiving this invitation from God himself, what else could I do? So he became 
obedient, an obedient believer on the spot, and he started preaching this life-changing radical turn to God and, and everything it meant for every person for their whole life. And he started in Damascus, and he went to Jerusalem and the surrounding countryside, and into the world to reach the Gentiles. It was a pretty radical message for them, and it's still very offensive to call yourself a Christ follower even now. And many places in the world, and some places here in the United States. But the question, really, that kind of popped up out of all of this, is the question, why are we here? Why are you here? I remember being in this very church, and I would sit on that seat right there, and we would come up and pray. And many, many Sundays, we would give an invitation, and people would come, and they'd come and bow down here, and they'd come and talk to Pastor Chuck, and then someone would usher them back to a room, and they'd talk with somebody for a little while. And I didn't always, before I got saved, I didn't know what was going on. Like, what do they do back there? What's the secret? Are they giving them something? You know, and so they'd go back there, and, and then they'd come back out, and then Pastor Chuck would be there, and he'd wave at everyone, and he would introduce this new believer, and everyone would clap. Why in that moment did the Lord not just take that person right up into heaven at that exact moment? Their, their salvation was secure. They, they gave their heart to Jesus. They didn't have a chance to sin anymore. I mean, they were, they, were, they were good, right? So why didn't Jesus just say, all right, good, thank you for giving your heart to me? And that person just, you know, pulls an Avengers and just turns into dust, right? Like, why... Why are they still here? Why are we still here? We are still here because we are called to bear witness to that salvation. We are the message bearers of the cross. I was trying to save my voice desperately for, to be able to speak, but all the songs you guys picked were great songs, and I, haven't, I don't sing them in English. You know, I have to sing them in Spanish where, where I'm at, and so, so it gets English songs live. I get to really get into it, and so I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my voice. But the, but the song, the Great I Am, just is powerful to me. It's one of my favorite songs. And it's because by the mention of his name, by the mention of his name, there's a power in the name of Christ that we carry, that the demons flee. And if you've ever stood and been in a stronghold of the enemy, like the darkness in Peru, in the jungles with, uh, with us, and you are standing as a light in that place, it feels different. I can't even explain it. I can't tell you what it's about. It's not, I don't, it, it, it's supernatural, but it's not. It's not even that, it's not dramatic, but it's just different. And to know that the power of the gospel is with you, and when you're declaring it, and when you're praying for someone with tuberculosis that's laying on a, on a mat, and you know that the only hope for that person, because there is no medicine, there is no doctor, there is nothing for them except for the hope in Christ that he would come and heal them and help them and save them, it's powerful. It's the power to shake the heavens and the earth. And so, why are you here? Why are we here? We come as message bearers of the greatest news on the whole planet. And we linger here on this earth in order to share that message of salvation with our friends and with anyone who has never heard. And so the central force of the Christian message, the Christian life, is evangelism and mission, and mission work. It is to share that work. And so what is evangelism? What is mission work? 
evangelism is basically is simply telling somebody about Jesus. That's all that it is. Just telling them about Jesus. And mission work is one more step, a little more, a little more complex, is telling someone who doesn't even know that there is a Jesus and that he came to save them. And so that's mission work. And so we go, as pioneers, missionaries, us, we go to one of 33 tribes in the Peruvian Amazon, and we give 10, 15 years of our life to learn a language, learn Spanish first, and then learn a tribal language, to do church planning, to be able to share the gospel in their language, the good news that there is a Jesus that they've never heard about, and that he loves them desperately, and he came to save them if they had put their faith in him. And it's not a drive-through Christian service. It's not a one, one prayer and a, and, and a hallelujah. You have to walk with people, and you have to disciple people and, and spend time with them to learn their culture and their language so that the grandma and the little baby and everyone in between can hear the saving message of the, of the gospel. And so that's what we do in mission work. That's, the, that's what mission work is. So we're all called to share Jesus, evangelism. You're all called to share that. And some of us are called to go cross-culturally and share, people, share with people who Jesus is, that there is a Jesus at all, and that he loves them. And just to give you some context about mission work, David Platt um, did some math better than I can. Simple math, but there's 2.2 billion Christians in the world. People would call themselves adherents or followers of Christ in the world. If every person, every Christian, shared the gospel with one person and they got saved, there would still be 2.2 billion people who had never heard or had an opportunity to come to Jesus. 2.2 billion that are alive right now. That's a lot of people. A billion is a lot. And so, the work isn't done. We also know that 1 in 20,000 Christians... So for every 20,000 Christians, one may live or go to an unreached part of the world and live out their faith and share the gospel. So it was one in 20,000. So the need is huge. And God's called us to do it. And there are people who need to take up that call, whether it's reach to your neighbor, co-worker, family member, across the street, across the yard, across town, across the world. Let, let me try to create this connection a little bit, a little bit, a little bit more. Let me illustrate this a little bit. You guys ever heard of the term crunchy people? Are you, if you have heard it, you probably are one. All right, so... Crunchy people. My wife introduced me to the concept of the crunch. Crunchy people. I never heard of it, but if you've ever heard of kale chips and almond flour and sugar in the raw, you ever eaten bread with nuts in it? Not, not banana bread, like bread that's brown and it's got nuts all on the inside of it, ruining the bread. You gotta put so much butter on that thing to make it taste good. That's stuff crunchy people eat. Have you ever eaten that, been around that, talked about it? You might be a crunchy person. 
You've all been reached by a crunchy person, I guarantee you. Our culture is, the United States culture is full of this now. It's the greatest and the latest fad. They're all around us, these crunchy people. Some other terms that you may have heard, health nuts, health conscious, health enthusiasts, granola, green. These are all crunchy people. But what is a crunchy person anyway? A crunchy person simply is someone who looks for alternatives in their diet. They look for natural solutions, chemical-free. They may have a few essential oils or a few hundred in their medicine cabinet. So Ceci, my wife, was explaining all this about crunchy people to me. And then I forgot about it. And then just recently I was, I was in the fridge at our house in, in, the, in the jungle. And this kind of feeling, like realization, this kind of dread came over me. I'm like, oh no. And so I closed it and I went to the pantry, turned the light on. And I looked through what was in our pantry like, no. And I ran to the bathroom and I looked and I opened up the medicine cabinet. I looked on her side of the medicine cabinet and it's just chock full of essential oils. I'm a crunchy person. So I went right out immediately. I cooked up a pound of bacon and I ate it right then <laughs> so that I could feel a little better. But how did we get here? How did we get to Crunchyville? How did I become the mayor of Crunchyville, right? Like, that's where I am. We're health conscious. We're health nuts. That's what our house has become. We have yucca flour, and we have almond flour, and we have banana flour, and we have all these alternative uh, oils that we use for cooking, and um, and it's all over our household. Well, some people started going against the grain a little bit. They were concerned about their health, and they did some research, and they discovered some alternatives to some common practices. And so they looked at red dye and realized, man, red dye seems to make my kid crazy. Maybe we shouldn't give that to him anymore, right? Or processed foods are not really that good for you, and you know, people are dying of, of elevated levels of whatever. Don't say that about bacon, though. But everything else besides bacon... Don't eat it in large quantities. It's going to make you sick. It's going to keep you... If your food is white, it's probably because it's been through a process, right? That keeps it that way, that makes it that way, because it's not supposed to be that way. It's been altered. And so they simply asked why and look for other alternatives, a more healthy solution to living their life. So I poke fun at crunchy people a little bit, but I just want to try to tie us in with Christians, Because we also have connections in this world. We also have a solution for for something. Every movement begins with somebody, a person, discovering a problem or an epidemic in our world. And they, they offer solutions for that problem. And the very best, the most dedicated people who are really trying to help people... They, 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 they participate in this movement, stopping at nothing in order to help people get the benefits of their thing. If you're in sales, you know what this is about 100%, right? Like, you believe that your thing, your product, your perspective, this thing is going to help them, and they should use it because it's going to better their life. And we do the same thing. Well, that's all rooted in the movement of, of something deep in our soul, that there's, a, there's this whole... There's this thing called sin that lives in us, and we need a solution for our sin. 
And the most dedicated people want other people to get a solution for that. And they're willing to carry on the names that we get um, named or labeled or ostracized with. Um, Might be called radical or a Bible thumper or a religious extremist or one of those Christians. As if you brought kale chips to a Plant City tailgate party or something like that, right? Like, wait. You've got to be willing to deal with a little pushback from your culture. But is it worth it is the question. Is it worth it? You didn't get sucked up at your salvation in front of the, on the altar for a reason. You're still lingering here on this earth because you have a, you have a, you have a solution. And Paul was standing in front of the king of, of Israel. He was unapologetically sharing the gospel and the hope that he had before him. He says, what else could I do but share this gospel? The power of God into salvation. So is it worth going? Is it worth sharing? Is it worth sending and giving your money towards? Is it worth being labeled? And so, the question, I guess, then, is what would it take for you to be a missionary? Take for you to take up this call, this missionary call. To join the world Jesus movement. And so I got a couple questions, a couple clarifying questions. If you ever want to be a missionary, here's a few things that you could do, that you could think through, that will help you on your road to, towards becoming a good missionary, a helpful missionary, a effective and powerful one that the Lord can use in a, in a way. Now, there are, one thing I didn't put on here is there are a few requirements, and depending on the agency that you join, they have some practical requirements. You need to have some type of Bible experience. So with pioneers, you have to have six core classes, Bible classes, um, intro to Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, theology, hermeneutics. Take about maybe a year to go through and to take those classes. But after that, you've got, you've got your Bible certificate. You can go and raise your support and go be a, go be a missionary where the Lord is calling you. But once you get on the field, here are the things that you need to be thinking through. Or as you're entering into the decision-making process, here's the thing, here are some things that you need to be thinking through. First one, have I ever led anyone to Jesus and discipled them towards maturity? You'll find it very, very, actually it's very, very uncommon that people have done this in their life. Even Christians that come to church regularly, you ask them, who have you led to Jesus and how have you discipled them towards maturity in Christ? Many people can't say that they've done that. Well, maybe, maybe. That's your first step. If you've never won someone to Christ, if you've never shared the gospel and walked somebody through the plan of salvation and then, and then committed to them to walk and grow them up in their faith, that's your first step. And the interesting thing is, is when you disciple somebody, you have to look at your own life and make sure that it is right. And you're discipling somebody, you're walking with somebody, that means you need, to, you need to be living right. You need to be doing your part, right? You need to be having a good testimony. Why? Because you're expecting to lead this person. So guess what happens? The church matures immediately. Boom. People are starting to bring their, 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 their issues and starting to learn and grow in the Lord because they're willing to disciple somebody else, which means they're holding themselves accountable 
because they're calling themselves a faithful Christian who can lead somebody else. And guess what missionary work really, really is? Missionary work is going to a place, sharing the gospel, and being willing to walk with somebody for 10 or 15 years as they grow in their faith and teach them how to tell somebody else. That's really all missionary work is. You just have to do it in a really hard way because you're living cross-culturally. You're living in different languages and cultures and things like that. And so that's step number one. Lead someone to Jesus. Oh, and guess what? 6,000 or 8,000 people will be coming through your front door here in just a few more, a few more weeks for Walk Through Bethlehem, and you have all those cards there. Right? All those contact cards of people who are warmed up to the idea of Jesus. Could you call 10 of them? And if everyone in here called 10, how many thousands of people would get a follow-up call? Wow, that would be powerful. It would be an opportunity for you to get a chance to to share the gospel and to commit to that one of those 10 who may say, yes, I was deeply impacted by Walk to Bethlehem. Tell me more. And you do it. There you go. This is another, um, well, am I teachable? We're running out of time, so I can't, go, I can't get off too many bunny trails here. Uh, am I teachable? Are you willing for future training? Are you willing to not have all the answers? Are you willing to learn? When you go live cross-culturally, all of the assumptions about how life works from how the door locks to get in your house are different overseas than they are here. How people drive are different. If you think getting crazy mad about driving here happens, oh my Lord, wait till you have 17 motorcycles going around you while you're trying to drive in your car or whatever. Um, are you teachable? Are you willing? Are you able to not have all the answers and it not, be, not go your way every time? Are you willing to grow? Are you willing to, to learn a new thing and to be pushed and put into a, into a new situation where you have to stretch yourself and you got to study some more and you got to not have the answer. Even though people are looking to you for the answers, you're going to say, I don't know. I need to look it up. Let's look at it together. Because that's really mission work. You've got to be teachable. You've got to discover a new way of working and doing things and thinking about things. Are you comfortable with the gray? That's the, that's the fourth one. Wait, third one. Are you comfortable with the gray? You're taking the gospel and you've got your courage up. You have your little light, this little light of mine, right? I'm going to let it shine. Well, guess where you put little lights? Put little lights in dark places. And when you get to dark places, there's this gray area just outside of where you can see. You and your family, everyone knows Jesus. Maybe your team of other missionaries and you're doing life together. But all the people who need Jesus, they're not in the light. They're out there in the gray and they're in the black where you can't see them in the darkness. And you're trying to bring this gospel to this gray. You're, you're, and you're walking close to these people. And those stories are messy. Just like your story was before you came to Jesus. And that, that gray is very different from your life. So I remember we were with some uh, missionary friends up in a, a remote river. It took us three days to get up there on a little outboard motor, sleeping on the side of the river. So we got to this tribe. There's 11,000 people in this tribe spread out over uh, about 25 miles of river. They live up in these little creeks, and you go up the creek, and there's a little village of 100 people or so, and they're all spread out all over. 
And we have a missionary. We worked four years to get this missionary base and missionary um, team working among this people group. And so we were there encouraging them, brought some people and some, brought some cookies to our teammates um, and to go see them and to encourage them. And as we were there that night, it was really dark and we had our headlamps on and mosquitoes and bugs are flying around inside the room, right? Because it's outdoor, we're in a hut, a raised platform. And um, we're talking and praying over the word and sharing stories of encouragement with each other. And the one or two uh, Christians who had come to Christ in that tribe were with us. Uh, and we're encouraging each other. And then all of a sudden we hear this yelling and screaming and then this thump, 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 thudding. I'm like, what's going on over there? And the, the, the hut next door to our, our hut, the, the family, the hus- husband and the wife were drunk. They had been drinking um, their homemade brew all day long. They get home and it's dark and they start beating on each other, screaming and yelling, beating on the kids. And the little girl, one of us, she's maybe nine years old, came over and she's like, he's coming, he's going to hurt us, he's going to kill us, he's throwing us off of the platform out of our house. He's yelling, he's got the machete. And so I'm like, all right, this is it. This is what I came here for. Boot camp, baby, let's do it. And so I stand up and I'm getting ready to go out and put a knot on his head for beating on people. And, um, and, and my mentor, missionary, he's like, Aaron, hold on a second. Let's think through this. Is this what we're here for? To stop this man from beating on his wife? I'm like, well, yeah, this is, I mean, this is terrible. This is horrible. This is darkness. He's like, but do you know that if you were to confront this man right now in this context, that you confronting him because of his values, you confronting him about him beating his wife is worse than him beating his wife because you cause shame on him. And shame is way worse than any physical abuse. Everyone gets abused in this tribe. It's no big deal. But shame is a big deal. And the only thing you risk by going over here and telling this guy to stop is shaming him and our whole team getting kicked out and taking us another four years or never for an opportunity to come in and live among these people and to learn the gospel. And he says, and that is why we need to bring the gospel to his heart. He needs Jesus on the inside of him. There will be a time to talk about beating your wife, but he needs the gospel. We need to learn his language, learn his culture, and bring the gospel to the deep, inmost part of who he is so that he can do nothing but change his behavior. And so how long is that going to take? Five years, six years, he's going to be beating his wife and all these other people are going to get beat? Yeah, you've got to deal with the gray for a little while. You've got to deal with the darkness for a little while while you're holding on to your light so that you can offer this good news of salvation to someone who desperately needs it. But we see people in their trouble and their problems, you're like, not my circus, not my monkeys, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm out, right? That's messy. I got my own problems to deal with, right? But somebody needs to be willing, whether it's across the street or across the world, to share the gospel and to walk with somebody who desperately needs to know him. And that's embracing the gray. You can't be legalistic over, over overseas because you're gonna. It's it just you'll it'll break down all your walls. You just won't have anybody to serve. Another uh, practical one: um, How are my finances? Um, the borrower is slave to the lender. This is just really practical. If you don't have your finances in order, you can you really can't make an impact in the gospel the way it needs to. If you've got payments and you're back and you're behind and all those things, and I know there's circumstances, I'm not trying to judge your, your story. I'm just saying re- realistically, if you're trying to 
make a difference for the gospel kingdom. Your finances play a part. And if you're upside down and backwards and, and those masters in your life will come calling and you will be less effective in the gospel because you'll be, you'll be dealing with these, these issues. And so that's fast. And it's, if you need to live frugally, because you're going to need to live frugally and you, and you need to live, be able to move and go and, 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 and travel at a moment's notice and you can't have things encumbering your, your work and your walk. And so debt-free is a huge thing. You can go to, we do allow a little bit within our agency, um, a little bit of student loan debt, but for the most part, that's one of the questions we ask. Are you debt free? And that's a big hurdle for a lot of people, right? It's a big hurdle. And last one, are you self-aware? This is one that we, so part of my job is I'm like the, the, the lead trainer for the new missionaries that come. And so new missionaries come. We have two couples now, uh, the Holtz and the Reddings. Um, the Holtz have two kids, and they're in their 30s. The Reddings are in their late 20s. And uh, they come and join our team, and then we teach them and train them the ropes to give them uh, an idea of what it's like to live and to, to, to do mission work overseas. And um, because living in America and then dropping somebody off in a hut down by the river is a big, it's a big jump, Right. And so we are kind of a medium ground there where they can come with us and learn the ropes for a year or two, learn Spanish, and then we launch them a little slower into the process so they're not such a big shock to their system. And we deal with this, and it really has to do with our weaknesses, our sins. And so the question is, are you self-aware? What are the sins that easily trip you up? Can you talk about your sin? Can you talk about your weaknesses, the areas that you need to improve on? Can you talk about them in a mature way, in a very aware way where you know, hey, I know about myself. I know where I'm weak, and I know where I need to work, and I'm, I'm actively working on it. I'm, I'm working through it, and, and with the help of accountability and all those things, I'm actually working through this kind of, these kind of things. Are you striving to better your walk with Christ is really the biggest question. Now, they have this thing where there's a stress meter, right? It's a one to a thousand, and they, they put different jobs on, on this list to, to, to measure people's stress levels on different types of work. And so there's you know, teachers and doctors and lawyers and, and, um, and military people and missionaries, and they have it on, this whole stress meter's on here, and they, and they identify that 400 is, is high stress. That if you're operating and living in a 400 out of a out of a thousand, you can do it for a little while, but you're going to need to you're going to need to back off and find something else to do for a little while and kind of recuperate from that high stress level. And they discovered that military people, when people are deployed, they're about six fifty ish, somewhere around there, seven hundred, and so it's extreme. But praise the Lord, most of our military they come back home after a few years, right? And they can get back on there. Well, missionaries operate at nine hundred. And they live at 900 for a long time. And, um, and so your self-awareness will become very evident if you are or not living in and doing missionary work. And so you'll need to be self-aware. You'll need to deal with your sins. You'll need to root out those parts of your life that still need to be better, need to be more Christ-like and Christ-filled. But if you listen, if you look at these things, this list... Have you ever led and discipled them toward maturity? Are you teachable, comfortable with gray areas? 
Are your finances in order? Are you self-aware? Do you know where your sins lead? None of these are actually very specific to mission work. This is what any Christian should be striving for, right? To disciple someone and lead them towards maturity, to be teachable, right? To be, to be comfortable in the gray areas, finances, self-aware. These are just normal. This is the normal Christian life, folks. And the, and, and the, and the Lord will use that. You get this area, these areas of your life in order, you might be surprised where the Lord, Lord will call you and how he'll use you. You, just, you would be very surprised. So today, as a transition, a little bit of a transition, maybe this is where you need to commit today. Maybe you've never heard of the gospel. Done, uh, maybe you've never had a chance to, to, um, to give your heart to Christ. Maybe you've never had an opportunity to come forward and make you a public confession of your faith that you come to Christ. Or maybe you have some areas that you need to get your life in order that you Maybe you want to be a missionary, or maybe you just want to be a better Christian. You, you want to walk in maybe some of these areas. You want the faith of Paul standing before the king of Israel saying, what else could I do except follow this great king, the king above all kings, and the Lord above all lords? And so maybe today is that for you, that you have maybe some secret sin, or maybe you have some desire to grow in another new area of your life, and you just need to lay it down before the Lord and need prayer for that. Respond to that. Respond to that call. Respond to that. And maybe, maybe, maybe you're one in the 20,000 who the Lord is calling to be part of the movement to bring Jesus to the end of the world. Maybe the Lord is calling you to get on that road. It's a career decision, folks. It's not a, I'm going to go for a weekend and it's going to be awesome and I'm going to get a t-shirt. This is a, career decision. You're giving your life 10 to 15 years of your life. And maybe you're retired and you'd like to do it. That's okay. We take them. All right? Come on. But you're, you're seeing that this is a long-term commitment because the gospel needs long-term workers. And so maybe the Lord's calling for you to do long-term ministry. Come on forward. Let us know. Let us pray for you. I can get you on the road. Um, don't be afraid to let the Lord lead you in whatever way, um, this morning. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day, for this time. Thank you for this opportunity to share your word. pray, Jesus, that you would um, touch the heart of anyone who doesn't know you, needs to make a commitment to you today, needs to give their heart to you, or needs to just rededicate their heart and their life to you and, and, um, and work, work through their, whatever the issues are, so that they can have as little obstacles to doing your work as possible. And Lord, I also pray for that person who may be here considering mission work, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would give them the bravery and the the vision of their life, Lord, to step out, start on that road, to ask the questions, to get trained up and ready and to be used by you for your glory's sake. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. It's for your name's sake. It's for your glory's sake because you deserve it and we don't. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.